Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. My episode today is brought to you by my good friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to give your guests a better buying experience, world-class customer service, peace of mind in their purchases, and how you and your organization can create a brand new stream of revenue, visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com. While I'm on the subject of Booking Protect, I should mention that Simon Mab, CEO of Booking Protect, and me, Dave Wakeman, we will be in Sydney, Australia for the Ticketing Professionals of Australia Conference on November 14th and 15th, 2019. That's the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Sydney, Australia on November 14th and 15th, 2019. I'm going to be giving the opening keynote all about change. We're going to talk about how to make change a part of your life and your organization, how to make it a positive, not a negative. It's going to be great. Simon's going to talk about customer service. We're going to be on the trade floor. It's going to be awesome. We're going to do a whole bunch of fun things so that people can meet us, talk to us, engage with us. But you need to get your tickets for the Ticketing Professionals Conference today. You can get your tickets by visiting their website at www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. Let me repeat that. It's www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. As an added bonus, if you buy your tickets before August 1st, I'm going to do something for you. Send me your email or send the email to me with your receipt to Dave at DaveWakeman.com and I will do a free 45-minute coaching call with your team about strategy, revenue, change, whatever it is. But you got to get the ticket by August 1st. After August 1st, only get to go to the show and see me talk about change. Before, if you send me an email, Dave at DaveWakeman.com with your receipt from your Ticketing Professionals Australia purchase, I'll do a 45-minute coaching call with your team. So, Get over to www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au, buy your tickets, email the receipt to me, and let's talk. My guest today is a guy called David Brickley from STN Digital. And this is a good conversation because David and his team do something that I love. They work on digital and social and all these things, but they attach it to money. Uh, we had a great talk, right? It was talked about all kinds of stuff. But I want to highlight we were talking about how do you make money off these things. Um, all kidding aside, uh, David's got a – at STN Digital have a great uh, organization, what they're doing. They did some great work. I told him after we got off the phone um, doing the podcast that we talked a lot about the Toronto Raptors and the work they did with the Raptors in the lead-up to the NBA Finals and the NBA Championship that the Raptors just won. Uh, but what really drew me to them and why I wanted to talk was some of the work they were doing with like uh, the Green Bay Packers. And I really thought the stuff turned out well, and it was beautiful. So we had a great conversation about – um, messaging and consistency and platforms, uh, Instagram, Facebook, um, you know, why some platforms work better than others. We talked about content. We talked about making the right content. We talked about knowing your audience. We talked about consistency. We talked about, you know, how you manage the process of change, how you um, create uh, campaigns, how do you test campaigns. We talked about um, then revenue. 
which is, you know, my favorite topic. Uh, we talked about the amount of money that teams and leagues in uh, North America are leaving on the table. We talked about, um, you know, some ideas about how to monetize some of those digital assets that are not being used correctly. Then we turned it around and we started using, talking about how to use digital assets to sell tickets more effectively. And finally, how to use uh, digital assets and some of the coming digital assets to sell merchandise um, more effectively. And it was really great because then David opened the door to talk about the email list, which I think all of you know is one of my favorite things. And David makes a point that I want to make again here is like you need to own assets that you can control no matter what. In my case, right, talking about me, Dave Wakeman, I have a website, right? I own the website. DaveWakeman.com. If you haven't been there, visit. I own an email list, which if you'd like to get on it, it's send me an email. David DaveWakeman.com. Put newsletter in the subject line. It's called the Business of Value. And once a week on Sunday, I send out an email that talks about value, and it helps people express value differently to their organizations. Uh, look at value differently and you use value more effectively in their sales and marketing habits so you can get that by emailing me david davewakeman.com and i do this podcast right these are three things that i can control that i get to speak directly to my audience and david talks about this um a great deal and it's something that is so important i wanted to make sure that i highlighted it again in the intro because i think that sometimes we take for granted that the LinkedIn and the Twitter and the Facebook and the Instagram algorithms are always going to be the same. But history has shown that they're constantly changing and that if we don't control an asset, we don't have a way to reach our market directly, then we are at a disadvantage. And I was really grateful that David brought that up and it was something that was so powerful that I wanted to highlight again. So keep in mind, you need to control your assets. Um, and I think you're going to dig this conversation uh, David is super high energy. Um, he made me seem like I was not high energy. So dig this conversation between me and David Brickley on the business fun. I want to welcome David Brickley to the business of fun podcast. David, how are you? What's going on? Thanks so much for the time. Oh man, this is going to be awesome. I've been excited since uh, you reached out about being on the podcast because yeah. you talk about, I mean, you do some great work, but then you talk about also how we tie it to money. So that's uh, always my favorite topic. Of course. Um, <laughs> but I want to start out with a, a simple question, which is sports teams are in a battle for attention uh, with so many different forms of entertainment, you know, especially as digital content options kind of keep expanding and continue to expand at an accelerated pace. What can teams do to capture people's attentions more effectively? Um, it sounds like somewhat of a cliche answer, but I think ultimately you have to start with being genuine with your audience. Um, you're programming these different social channels to engage with the followers that are on those channels. And I think, you know, one of my friends in the industry said one time, you know, they don't have to follow you. So it's important to program the same way a television station programs uh, their setup, right? They're going to make sure that they uh, go through a focus group process and have showrunners and have the right type of content to produce and to give out to the viewer to make sure people still watch NBC or CBS or what have you. And I think 
there's a lot of sports teams in general that maybe don't take that serious enough. And I think as, as long as you're being genuine with the audience, you know, we worked with the Toronto Raptors on their entire journey throughout the NBA playoffs and end up winning the NBA championship. And I think for us, you know, we were always asking ourselves, what do Raptor fans want to see? Um, obviously, Drake is almost the Raptors mascot up there and they like, you know, engaging with him. So how do you bring Drake into your content? How do you speak to pop culture? How do you speak to your demographic and what they're currently liking outside of sports and kind of be able to blend those two. So I think ultimately you just have to sit down and say, who's our audience? What do they enjoy? Constantly A, B test that. And then ultimately you'll find a perfect mixture, a perfect recipe uh, of content that your fans will enjoy. Yeah. And you talked about A, B testing and I, yep. I know sometimes A, B testing gets a little overused because everybody's like, oh, I got to A, B test everything. Yep. But what I'm curious about, because you brought it up and I, and I know that I guess the way digital marketing is laid out, you're supposed to be able to see, get a reaction very quickly. How do you work with your clients to help them understand that like you may not get it right the first time, right? You're searching for a recipe and you're searching for, yep. um, you, you know, like the exact mix of things that are going to work for your audience because each of them is different. Yeah, exactly. I think um, you can't just run one test and then make a conclusion out of that. I think, you know, going back to the Raptors, for example, maybe – Static photography is not really working for players two through 15, but Kawhi Leonard photography, for whatever reason, is kind of skyrocketing. So you know, hey, let's go easy on the photos for this particular platform. But for Kawhi Leonard specifically, let's post as many photos as we possibly can because the fan base is really geeked out about him for whatever reason. So I think it's it's a multi, like any type of testing. Um, there's a, there's a multitude of things you can do and and make sure you're not just doing. A and B and, and then coming up with a conclusion, but more making sure that you're trying a, a few things. I always tell our clients too that, um, you know, let's have some fun with it. Let's try some things. A lot of things aren't going to work, um, but that's just going to give learnings for future, future content. One of the, and it's interesting that you've explained it this way, because one of the challenges that I talk to sports teams about and that kind of comes up constantly, right. And it, it's sometimes frustrating for me is how do you convince the teams to really to customize everything because one of the challenges that sports business is dealing with is that there's so much um, and I want I guess I'll use cookie cutter content and cookie cutter ideas that, that go on and it reflects poorly on the brands yeah how do you push back against that and how do you um, convince organizations you're working with to let their the unique aspects of their brand and their community show? Yeah, I think for sports teams, you know, to give them a little bit of credit, they are understaffed. They have limited budget. Um, budget usually comes from the top down. Literally, the owner of the franchise, a Jerry Jones or a Mark Cuban, kind of opens up budget for digital or social exclusively. So you have a lot of teams that still have two people that are full-time on social. And listen, when you when IGTV comes out, people like you and I are geeked out and you want to jump on that platform because Instagram is automatically juicing the algorithm and you want to be able to be first to market. But if you're a social team with two or three people, are you going to spend the extra three hours to change that 16 by 9 video into vertical format in order to effectively post on IGTV and see if that if your audience is engaging with that? So I think it's a fine balance. Uh, for us, I think ultimately we work with teams that quote unquote get it. 
they understand um, that you know thinking about content and strategy is super important for their brand. But I think ultimately, to your to your point, the reason why that is in the industry is because there's a lack of budget and lack of staff from the top down, and then there's only so much time in the day. So ultimately, they result to cookie cutter content because that's really the only thing they can do. And you brought, you brought up something else too. It's like yeah. IGTV. One of the things I'm curious about too is you know, and, and the staffing thing is uh, is true, and like people being overworked is absolutely correct. Um, so I you know I asked it in the what, the question in a way to get that answer out of you. So thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, one of the things I'm curious about is working with sports, right, or just working with anybody in general. Is yep, everybody yep. feels this need that they need to be everywhere at once, right? And they have to they need to be on all the platforms. I think. I would say that that's not that's not correct. Um, what's your view on helping people make sure that they're on the right platforms and helping them create a filter for making sure they're on the right platforms and they don't get caught up in this trap of trying to be everywhere all yeah. the time with everybody? That's a really good point. I think you know TikTok is a very interesting platform right now that not a lot of teams are leveraging, and I think they should. But again, to your point, if you have limited staff, there's only so much time in the day, and I think. You know, all of us would like to call our mom and dad and work out and also, you know, work 10 hours a day and also read a book every day and also meditate every day. But ultimately, there's only so much that you can put in that pot every day. So I think with with sports teams and social, I do think it's about where are we getting our best ROI? Where are we getting our best value from the investment of time? And content, and maybe that's Instagram. So maybe let's pull back on Facebook and Twitter a little bit because Instagram is giving our best organic engagement. Some tests that we've ran, you know, the NBA will post a photo on on Facebook and post a photo on Instagram. Uh, Instagram ends up getting about thirty eight times more organic engagement than that of Facebook. So for the NBA, they may put a few more resources on Instagram than on Facebook, just because it's it's like anything else. You constantly have to find what's giving you your best return on investment and focus on that. So I agree. I think trying to be everywhere, trying to be on IGTV and TikTok and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter, if you only have limited resources, I think it always goes back to what's given our what's given us the best return on investment. Yeah, and that opens up. Uh, really a bunch of things that I wanted to ask you about. The first thing is since we, we've hit on IGTV pretty heavily and you talked yeah. about Instagram and the NBA um, getting a 38 times greater uh, impact than on Facebook. What do you think the – because I know it's a big story right now. Instagram hiding the likes. How much of an impact is that going to have on people using Instagram or the reach or is it going to have any impact at all? Yeah, I think for me, it's interesting. So right now, like you said, they're rolling it out, I think, in some test countries like Brazil and Canada. They're figuring out if they're actually going to roll it out like globally. Um, I think it's interesting. I think from a PR standpoint, Instagram is saying that they're trying to look out for uh, you know, young people and mental health and the psychological effects of putting your self-worth into how many likes you get on Instagram. We've all heard the stories of young women specifically posting on Instagram. And if it doesn't get enough likes in 30 minutes, they delete it. And that's kind of sad. Um, but you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's also sad, you know, when there's Photoshop magazines and women have to kind of look at that as something they have to try to aspire to. So I think Instagram is from a PR standpoint, they're trying to get ahead of the game with safety concerns and Cambridge Analytica and everything like that. I just think it's a much bigger conversation. I'm not a therapist or I'm not going to speak on it from a psychological standpoint, but I think hiding likes is not going to be something that really makes a huge dent in culture or, or our society. Um, and you know, do we hide retweets? Do we hide views on YouTube? 
do we hide stars on Yelp? I think it opens up this Pandora's box or kind of this slippery slope where you can technically say anything that has any stat at all uh, could hurt somebody's self-worth or could hurt, you know, from a depression standpoint. And that's kind of a scary uh, thing to get down as a social purist that loves looking at data and loves comparing themselves against others. I obviously am a little biased, but I think it's um, it's it's in my opinion, it's probably not the right answer for a much larger discussion. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the challenges that we're facing with a lot of things is that you're asking or either taking a simple action or asking a simple question when yeah. the, when it's complex a much question, complex yeah. question, yeah. complex situation. But a much simpler question that I want to ask about because it kind of ties into all this is about consistency and delivering the right message. Yeah. Right. So we understand that a lot of times when sports teams are understaffed, and we understand that there's so many platforms that people can work on. Um, you talked a little bit about using the example of the Toronto Raptors and how Kawhi Leonard static photos work really well for him and videos work better for other people. Right. Um, you know, so one of the things I want to ask about is like consistency. You know, what does consistency look like from your point of view when you're working with the teams that you're working with and the people you're working with? Uh, and how do you instill that focus on consistency? Because as a marketer, I understand consistency is probably uh, your greatest gift because you or I might get tired of a message well before it reaches our audience. Um, yep. So the first part I want to ask about is consistency and how do you um, frame that and how do you encourage it and how do you make sure that it happens? If we're speaking from a sports team perspective, I think I've always said you need to be the one-stop shop. Um, if you're a fan of the Lakers, if you're a fan of the San Diego Chargers – or sorry, LA Chargers. I'm still saying that. Um but I think if you're a fan of that team, you know, if you if the fan follows that handle, they need to get all their Laker information, all their Raptors information, all their Patriots information, all at one stop. So I really believe that if Bleacher or the Score or some of these other platforms are beating you to the punch or talking about relevant storylines or water cooler topics that you aren't, I think you're missing the boat there. So I think from a consistency standpoint, I get asked the question all the time: How many times should we be posted on Instagram? Instagram. Well, you know, the NBA posts 35 times a day during the season. I don't think every brand should post 35 times a day. I don't think a celebrity should post more than a, a few times a day at the most. But um, it's hard, right? Every brand, I think, has based on those A-B tests you and I talked about, how much is too much, um, you know, and, and also based on really that, that water cooler talk or what fans want to get out of the sports team. I do think if they follow the team, they should be getting all the information, all the stats, all the insight, all the behind the scenes that they crave. Uh, they shouldn't have to go elsewhere for that information. Right. And so what you're telling me is if the NBA is um, posting 35 times a day and that a, a celebrity should only be posting a few times a day, uh, that the 100 times a day that Gary Vee tells us we should be posting is well, kind of BS. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't say that. I just think that the, you know, the NBA, the reason they post 35 times a day. <laughs> yeah, but there's, there's a reason why they can post 35 times a day because usually during the season – there's 35 big plays or big yeah. moments because there's 16 games in one day. Sometimes the reason I say celebrities maybe shouldn't post that much. Are there really 35 t things that happen that day that are, that your audience cares about? Right. I think that ultimately goes back to it. Like, do I care? Like from a, from a follower standpoint, am I pumped to see this content should ultimately be kind of the, the barrier. So, yeah, no, I was messing with you, but that, but the <laughs> point was, is that it's, re it's relevant, right? Like the NBA can, can create exactly. 35 or even 50 relevant pieces of content a day. Most, you know, maybe an individual team can't necessarily do that unless it's a playoff game. And so right. like, the relevance is like something that really needs to be at the, 
um, forefront of the thinking process because you can't just blast everybody all the time because they you don't want them to unfollow you. You want them to come to you first. Yeah, and I think you can look at you know engagement rate and growth rate and making sure those things are staying healthy and consistent to see if you're you know your posting cadence is at a good place. But listen, also I don't think there's a excuse to not post because there wasn't a tomahawk jam that night. I think you have to look from a, again, you're producing a channel, you're producing a television channel. So what are the stories? What are the evergreen topics? What can you grab at media day? What's a story of one of your players and his background and his story and his family um, situation? Like those are things I think you can kind of get in the can from an evergreen standpoint to make sure you're posting consistently, regardless of what's happening on the field because, you know, or field or court. The Cleveland Browns over the last decade have not had too many great things to post based on their performance, but that doesn't give them an excuse to not be able to speak to their fan and, and develop content that their fan base can enjoy. Yeah, and the interesting thing about the way you, you, you put it is, is it talks about story, right? Which it, and I think the Raptors or the Browns, any of these teams have tremendous stories to tell their audience. It's easy to tell a story when your team's in the playoffs and making a run for a championship yes. like the Raptors. Yes. Yep. I have been a big advocate, though, of kind of taking the whole season and looking, especially like something like baseball, where it's like a novel. And you can tell you have different chapters in the thing, and it's sort of ups and downs, peaks and valleys. What's your approach to helping the organizations you work with tell a thematic story across their entire season as opposed to kind of being uh, ended up reacting to things all the time? Yeah, I think you have to assume, I think going into every season, that there's going to be no highlights on the field. If you're a football team, let's assume we're going 0-16. So with that being the case and that being what's going to happen, how are we going to fill up our calendar? How are we going to tell stories regardless of what happens on the field? Because if you're – you know, if you're the director of digital, director of marketing at a sports franchise, um, you cannot rely on performance um, on the court, on the field type deal. I think it's important that you just look at it. Worst case scenario, we lose every game. We have a terrible season. What are the different pockets of content that we can create? And I think a lot of that has to do with producing in the offseason. You know, what are those different storylines? What are those different stories that we can tell? What are some historic things that are happening? What's, you know, we have schedule release. We have, you know, um, free agency. We have the draft. We have certain things that we can really get the fan base excited about. And there's a lot of football franchises that historically have been pretty poor over the last decade. So the draft is really important for them because that's, that's the point where the fan base, they have hope. You know, they're wishing that things are going to turn around. So it's super important to go all in on that, knowing that potentially this season is not going to be as hopeful. So I think just looking at it realistically, again, going back to my point about being genuine to the audience, what what does that fan want to see and how can you kind of pull those emotional heartstrings is really the really the goal. Yeah. And so let me ask you this then, because it probably takes a, a, a change in strategy and a shift in gears when you have a team that's um, in the playoffs and making a huge playoff run. Yeah. What, you know, what goes into the thinking there? Like, how do you handle a situation like that? Because I know with like the Raptors, they won the championship and it was kind of a little bit unexpected. And it was like, really like they, I guess the cliche would be captured lightning in a bottle. Yeah. So how did that impact the work that you, you were doing with the Raptors and how did you, you know, and it had to change very quickly. So what kind of, how did that work? I mean, honestly, I think it was, um, day by day, if not hour by hour conversation. I think, you know, obviously they knew going to the playoffs, they had a chance, especially in the Eastern conference without LeBron James. I think they, 
they knew from an organizational standpoint, like we have a good shot here to make the NBA finals just based on, um, you know, our competition. Not that that was a guarantee, but I think they knew that. So let's kind of get the, let's, you know, let's bring in STN. Let's kind of get this going in case, you know, we have an opportunity. We want to be able to capitalize on our biggest moments. But, you know, as these games are happening and as there is news and, you know, now Kawhi looks like he's kind of gimping an injury. How is that going to change the narrative potentially? Oh, he comes back and has a great performance. So, yeah, that was kind of a daily text message, WhatsApp <laughs> conversation based on what was happening on the court, what was happening outside of the court and how we can capitalize on that. So I think, you know, my advice would be you have to be able to be super flexible. And as those moments happen, be able to really capitalize on those moments. And and this seems simple, but even like creating content if you if they're up 3-1 in the series, you have to have content you can post the second they win the series. So you may have to create content super early in the series, and they may not win until Game 7, but you have that piece of content uh, to post the second they win. So just getting ahead of it, I think preparing and planning for each moment is super important. No, that's, that's awesome. Now, yep. I want to turn to my favorite topic, which is money. and mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, one of the things about the budget budgeting and giving resources to social media is we don't know what the return on investment is. Yep. The example you use with Instagram and the NBA as far as 38% or 38 times more engagement, that's great. But how does any of this stuff, how have you seen it or, and how? what are some of the best practices that you use to turn all of this engagement, all of these um, tools and ideas into revenue? Yeah, I think ultimately, and listen, I think from a sports team standpoint, we're not there yet. And I think there's hundreds of millions of dollars being left on the table because, listen, if you're the Dallas Cowboys, if you're the L.A. Lakers, there's a lot of Fortune 500 brands that would love to be in business with you. And I think they are in arena. They are in the game program. They are on the website. But, you know, social is still, I think, behind the game in terms of monetizing your inventory on social. And if you're doing it the right way, you have systematic content, whether it be post-game content, whether it be pre-game content, player of the week content, some of those things that are dropping each and every day or each and every week, that's stuff that's monetizable. And that's stuff that's legitimate inventory that you can sell against. So it's the Bud Light play of the game or it's the you know Gillette player of the week type deal. Um, and though all those things can be packaged up and sold. I think from what I've understood from a lot of my friends in the space is the sales team from a commission standpoint, aren't really incentivized to sell that out the right way. And they just really don't know how to sell digital because they've you know, historically sold in arena and at a home and billboards and some of those traditional advertising. Um, so I, I, you know, we've helped a lot of teams kind of develop those rate cards and I, I'm seeing a little bit of shift of more branded content. I think Bleacher's doing an incredible job right now being able to monetize on their systematic content. But from a team perspective, I do think I've heard from a lot of my friends in this space that there's no reason they shouldn't be monetizing this really great organic content. Um, but to your point, that's how you, that's how you end up return on investment. If you're getting great engagement and you have a very rabid following with ga- great engagement, great great growth rate. I think the way that you um, double down on that is actually monetizing that, that inventory. Well, and that, and that's a great, I mean, a great idea. And yeah. I didn't realize it would be hundreds of millions of dollars. I, I, but I guess if you go across 35, uh, 30 teams in f- four or five right. weeks, yeah, it's a lot of money. I mean, I, yeah, I think, I don't think there's a reason why sports teams shouldn't be making millions of dollars on social right now. There's just, there's no reason. Right. And, but, yeah. and as much as even monetizing these assets, yeah. What are some of the best practices that teams can use to sell merchandise and or and or tickets? Because I know one of the things is like you have a huge um, 
audience of people, right? Much bigger than your stadium can fill uh, of people who could come to your games, who in theory could buy tickets to your games. And I want to figure out a way that maybe we can tell people how to more effectively use social media to sell tickets and have a, like a really strong call to action around ticket sales. Yeah, I think one mistake I see a lot of teams making is organic tweets or organic content uh, to sell tickets is difficult, right? Because again, when you talk about the Lakers, I don't know what they have. Let's say they have 20 million followers on Instagram. There may only be, I don't know, 2.5 million of that actually living in the LA Orange County area that can actually go to a game. So I think ultimately it's dark posting, it's paid media, it's it's very specific targeting to people that have been to your game, you know, retargeting via your email list of people that have already been to games that may be interested to go to more. Um, but I think that has to be more of a paid media, dark post targeted approach rather than just posting organically and hoping for the best. Cause historically based on some research that we've done internally, like that's been difficult to really convert on just a random tweet, like get, t- t- get tickets tonight. We have a, a few different, you know, uh, openings or, or seats available. So um, from my standpoint, I think it's a targeted media approach, but from like a merchandise standpoint, I'm really interested in what Instagram shopping is doing. I think that's going to change the game. You know, I've had some friends on my podcast talk about that's the new QVC of, uh, of social. And I really believe it. I think it's, um, it's dangerous. I bought, some shoes a couple days ago to, in seven minutes after seeing something. And I think <laughs> I might Kawhi buy Leonard, something new every day. <laughs> yeah. When Kawhi Leonard went to the Clippers, they had to buy his jersey now. I mean, if you're a Clipper fan, I don't know how you're not clicking that link and buying a Kawhi Leonard jersey. Same with Anthony Davis of the Lakers. I noticed they used Instagram shopping, like two click ad uh, or two click buy. So that's, um, if you're not leveraging that as a sports team, I think you're really missing out because. I, uh, as a fan, especially with new player signings or new jersey reveals, um, that's just a really easy, low-hanging fruit to tag your post with that. And I think NFL season, we may see every single game photo, there may be a tag to buy that jersey today through the NFL shop type deal. So it's going to be interesting to see how much revenue that generates right. and also what the split is for the club uh, if they're directly selling that via their social handles. Yeah, no, that, that, that and that'll be really interesting to follow. And I have one more thing I want to ask you about, and I didn't yep. even think about it before because you brought it up and you talked about retargeting with your email list. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that, you know, uh, BAM has a really a, a solid platform, but I don't always see teams do a great job with their email list, right? As far as like connecting and, you know, reaching back out or retargeting and reconnecting. And one of the things I think it is, is they're resource constrained, like we talked about before. One of the things I, I want to try to do with each of these podcasts is maybe give people like one or two action items that they could do use to take control of that email list. Cause I know that email still is probably the most powerful tool for selling yeah. socially and digitally. What would be, how could people get started on, you know, retargeting or engaging better with their email list. I think, again, you have to go back to, to being genuine, like I mentioned, but you're building a community. So I think if you're looking at it from a sports fan standpoint, if I'm a Patriots fan, what content do I want to see? I don't want to be sold to every day. You know, I don't want to have a salesy email about how I can buy season tickets in my inbox every single week. So how do you, from a newsletter standpoint, how do you make that a great piece of organic content that ultimately has a lot of value, but then at the end, maybe there's a, hey, and also, if you're interested in season tickets, here's a link to learn more. Um, I think too often in marketing in general, people are just blasting people with like, buy this, buy this, buy now, sale now, sale now. 
And ultimately, I think as humans, we just don't want to be sold to. We think it's annoying when people knock on your door and solicit. You're annoyed when you get a phone call in the middle of the day from a uh, you know a solicitor or what have you. You're annoyed. So I think that's the same the same type of feeling you get when you get blasted with emails every day saying buy this, buy this, buy this. So I think if you look at all the content that's coming out of your club or your team. How can we, you know, provide valuable content to our fan base first and foremost? And oh, by the way, here's some more information on that. I think it's backwards logic a little bit for some people, but if you focus on that first, it kind of has a snowball effect, and people start to engage in a lot higher rate. Yeah, that's I, I like to call it mix the share the sharing with the selling, and the better you do about creating value and sort of organic content that's meaningful the easier it becomes to sell because then it's like you've yep. traded value with them for like so so often that when you do ask for somebody to buy something it becomes like oh of course i want to help them out i want to have this whatever it is there this sweatshirt or this it's t- actually funny this is super random but i was actually in the market to 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 lease a new car and i was in between mercedes and lexus i went like two months early and said hey my lease isn't up but i want to test out some cars and see what i like and then two months from now when my lease is up i may be in a spot to to lease. When I did that to Mercedes, they rolled their eyes and didn't talk to me the entire test drive because I wasn't, you know, money that day. And I went to I went to Lexus. No problem, man. Let me show you all the cars and I'm always here for you. Guess what car I ended up, you know, getting two months later? The guy that was, you know, providing value for me up front and then I came later. But the guy that was short sighted and said, This isn't going to be money for me today, so screw this guy. I never want to go there. I tell all my friends, don't go there to to, to potentially look at cars. So that's like a, a silly example, but it's true. I think if um, if if you look at people as dollar signs and you and you market to them that way, ultimately, I think you're going to have a lot more, a lot less ROI on that. So. No, that's that, I mean that's a great example because yeah. that's like as true as it gets. It's it treat me like you care no matter what. And then, exactly. And if you don't, then I'm going to read through that right away and I'm going to run away. Yeah, <laughs> and that's exactly that's now, yeah. David. Where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, so um, my agency STN Digital. We're at STN Digital. Um, you know, I'm on Twitter at David J Brickley. Same was Instagram. Um, host a podcast called Business of Social. For anybody that just geeks out over all these industry trends, it, it moves quickly, as you know, Dave. So it's um, I feel like every every two months there's an algorithm change or a new social network popping up. So trying to talk to people like yourself in the industry that um, can kind of just get tips and tricks and just stay at, keep our thumb on the pulse of the ever changing landscape. So uh, business of social is the podcast at David J Brickley on, on all the social handles. Awesome. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Of course, it. man. I appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Once again, I want to thank my guest, David Brickley for coming on the business of fun podcast. Let me know what you thought by sending me an email. At my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. If you want to talk about David, maybe you want to tell me what you thought about a, a recent guest like Tony Nomp or Ali Scheuer or Patrick Ryan. Or you might even have a suggestion for somebody I should talk to. Send them all my way, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. As always, you can find out what I'm up to by visiting my website. That's www.DaveWakeman.com. Once again, that's www.DaveWakeman.com. You can find my daily blog there even it's incredible um approaching 2,000 blog posts i believe it's so something new there every day if you want to connect with me on social media you can find me on linkedin just search my name dave wakeman you can also follow me on the twitter 
I am at David Wakeman on Twitter, and as I have mentioned now, I think for this is the 78th episode, if you know the guy who has the at Dave Wakeman Twitter handle, tell him to give it to me. I need it. He hasn't tweeted since 2014 or something, uh, and I, I would really use it. It's the only thing that I have on social media that's off-brand. That's not Dave Wakeman, so I'd love to get that. If you like what I'm doing with the podcast, I could use a little help. I need a favor. Would you share it with somebody? Maybe this episode, maybe one of the other ones that I've done that you think will help people um, grow their business, uh, achieve something new. Send it along. Share it with them. It's powerful. It helps make sure that I continue to do the podcast. If you've been a longtime listener and you haven't subscribed, what are you waiting for? The podcast is on all the major platforms, I believe, at this point. Now, it's on iTunes. It's on Stitcher. It's on Google Play. I can even get it in my car. I can hear it myself. I search search for Dave and I get myself. It's great. Um, and if you've been a longtime subscriber, if you shared the podcast with people, would you leave a review or a rating? These things help people discover the podcast. It helps encourage uh, guests to come on and it helps make sure that I can continue to deliver great conversations to you. Finally, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection, for being such awesome partners of the Business of Fun podcast. If you and your organization aren't offering your guests refund protection, my first question is why not? It's like a no-brainer. But you should check out BookingProtect.com where you can find out how you can partner with Booking Protect to deliver award-winning and world-class customer service. A more customized buying experience. You can give your guests peace of mind in their purchases, which is much, much more important than ever before because on-sale dates are happening so much further in advance. And maybe one of the more important things for you could be the fact that working with Booking Protect as a partner can generate a brand new stream of revenue for you and your organization. So go check them out at www.bookingprotect.com and see how you can become their partner. And lastly, I want to remind you that you will be able to see me and Booking Protect CEO Simon Mab in Australia. We are going to be at the Ticketing Professionals Conference of Australia in Sydney at the Bank West Stadium on November 14th and 15th. That's November 14th and 15th, the Ticketing Professionals Conference of Australia. Simon's going to be talking about customer service and de delivering customer service in a digital age and using reviews to grow your business. I'm going to be talking about change. If you haven't heard already, I'm giving the opening keynote at the conference. It's going to be great. I'm creating a brand new talk just specifically to bring to Australia. I'm going to help everybody understand and see how they can take the small actions that create great changes, why change is a positive, how to use change to your advantage, and a whole lot more. And in the lead up to the conference, Simon and I have a whole lot of stuff that we got planned. Uh, right now, uh, we're in the process of editing a special report about trends that are impacting the Australian ticketing market. Um, we have some other like really great content coming up with people from the Australian Football League, besides Ali Shoyer, which if you haven't heard that podcast yet, you should listen to it because it was like a love letter to the benefits of marketing and doing marketing well. Whatever. 
we have so much exciting stuff that we have planned leading up over the next three months to going to Australia, and we don't want you to miss it. So you need to get your tickets to the Ticketing Professionals Conference today by visiting them at www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. Once again, that's www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. And as an added bonus, if you buy your ticket by August 1st, I'm going to hook you up. Buy your ticket today, by August 1st even. Send me your receipt to daviddavewakeman.com, and I will offer your team a 45-minute coaching call where we can talk about strategy, marketing, sales, revenue, whatever it is you want, we can talk about it. 45 minutes, no strings attached, me and you. But the only way to get it is by buying your ticket to the Ticketing Professionals Conference of Australia on the 14th and 15th of November in Sydney at the Bank West Stadium. So that email or that web address one more time is www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. All right. I hope to see you there. And until next time, thanks for listening. Take it easy.